Welcome back to the Bama Online Podcast. This one on a Wednesday, September the 22nd, 2021. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com. As I'm joined, as I typically am, on Hump Day editions of the podcast by BOL site publisher, Tim Watts. And Tim, you know what today is, right? You know what today is. What is today? Today's the first day of fall, my man. Is it? First day of fall 2021. Now, look, if it if it was drop day for Ozark on Netflix, you would have knocked that out of the park. But, that Tim, it, it's the first night, day of fall. Last night, Joe Rudd dancing on Twitter was uh, trending. <laughs> Paul Rudd. I'm sorry, Paul Rudd. I don't know who the hell Joe Rudd is. That's, Paul, uh, that's Paul's cousin. Paul's brother. Yeah, stepbrother. Paul was on there dancing, and they were saying him dancing to September. And I was like, what do you mean to September? Probably meant to do the – Do you remember – it might have been to the fall, but he was dancing and he was, uh, it was hilarious. But yeah, yesterday I, was Earth, Wind, and Fire Day. Yeah. I had no idea that it was the first day of fall. Rank the four seasons for us as we get out of the gates here on the Bama um, Online podcast. Give us the Tim Watts seasonal I mean, power rankings. I mean, winter's dead last, so I can go reverse. Spring, <laughs> summer. You like fall then? Yeah, yeah, it's all right. It's third. I'd rank it third. I know I'd go spring first. I did it yeah. reverse. Spring first, probably. Um, fall's all right. I mean, I like fall because my family loves fall. My, I, I got pumpkin spice smelling in the house for two weeks for my chili. dog. Some uh, chili. Good she, pot of chili. Yes, and I, yes, my wife loves to crock pot the living. Anything that can fit in there, she's crock pot. Little, she's got these white bean chili. pot roast. Yeah. yeah, we actually had yeah. that taco that, soup. You call it. Yes, yes, you're hitting on it all. White bean chili. If anybody hadn't had that, look at that recipe. So I like it. They love it. Um, me, I'm that guy who's saying it's too hot. I wish it was cooler. And then I'm that guy saying it's too cool. <laughs> so it's a little warmer. So, oh, I, I can't. You can't beat. I think like mid to late October, man, because you get that confluence in sports too, right? You get the major league baseball playoffs and the world series coming into play. And by mid October, you're really getting into the college football and, uh, NFL seasons as well. It's a nice little, nice little merger there. Is NBA basketball going then? It's not. It's it's not. Yes, it's yeah, it's, it's right there. And right, college basketball, that, obviously. Yeah, I want to say that's the opening uh, opening start to the NBA season. So there is a lot, you know, the sports wise, your cup runneth over. So yeah. So, yep. I like the uh, fall concert season too. I'm a concert guy, as you know. So yeah. I got count. I got counting crows coming up in a couple of nights for the wife and myself. And then uh, going to see Dead and Company over in Atlanta if you want to meet up on October 12th because I know you're a big Grateful Dead fan. So no, maybe we'll get you on. Maybe we'll get you on Shakedown Street over in the I've ATL. Seen, How about that, Tim? I haven't seen many concerts, but the ones I've seen <laughs> are five stars. I saw Kiss in '77. I wow. Well, my mom, which is one of the best stories in history, she's a very religious lady. Uh, my mom took me to a Kiss concert. I was eight with my cousin Gary. That's and a good mom, man. CC and they were Kiss rocking and rolling. And yeah. my mom, pyrotechnics. Yeah. To be clear, my mom wouldn't take me today to see Kiss. <laughs> at fifty, y'all pulled one over on Mama. No, probably. She, it was. She surprised me. I don't know. She how, thought she was going to a Pat Boone concert or something. Maybe two things I don't know. One, she surprised me, and why? 
And two, why three weeks later she burned my kiss dolls. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever seen the movie Detroit Rock City? Yes. It is the best. It is great. So your mom was kind of like the mom maybe in the movie? Yeah. Okay. But she took you to the show. Yes. Well, she took me. She burned the dolls she had bought me that are probably worth (laughs) a couple of grand. And I said, what the Like, what happened? What if you had those dolls now? Those action figures, as as guys like to call them. She bought me. She burned those. Literally. I mean, she put flame to kiss. (laughs) So she burned them. But she did buy me the Stretch Armstrong. You remember that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Green monster that went. And Destructo. It wasn't a bad, you know, it ate. It wasn't a bad, uh, it wasn't a bad uh, trade at the time. But now, yeah, she cost us some uh, money. I wasn't a big action figures kid growing up. Back in my day, we had like G.I. Joe and the Six Million Dollar Man. You know, they were huge. And I tried, but I just I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it with them. I don't know. They just uh, they're worth a lot of money now, though, as collectibles. I mean, if you got those type of things laying around, you need to uh, you need to hang on to them. I guess, Tim, we'll get into some football talk here at any time now and we needed to get your reaction from alabama 31 florida 29 it was interesting being at the game saturday you get the full experience i think if you were there you probably have a different different level of appreciation or maybe even if you weren't there but you've been in the swamp in some previous years Maybe your level of appreciation for Alabama getting out of there with a two-point win is a little bit greater than if you haven't been in that pit, Tim. Yeah, we touched on that uh, the last show. I went to the Auburn. Auburn upset Florida in Mm -hmm. Auburn. Next year, they went to Florida with Spurrier and and Terry Bowden pretty chipper the whole offseason about, you know, know, Spurrier was saying Bowden was lucky and all this stuff. They go to Gainesville, Florida's number one in a monster – and so it was an extremely hype crowd. It was a great game. And, I mean, I told you my head was blowing. It felt like my head was blowing off. Part of that was from the Friday night uh, uh, cuisine. But they uh, – <laughs> absolutely, that's an amazing thing. You know, for me, I look at the game, and I know it's true. I mean, I saw threads seeing Alabama fans bored and they are spoiled. And they are, of course. I mean, win a lot of games and stuff. But that's a game where Alabama never trailed. The only chance the gate the Gators only had the ball one time with the chance to beat them, and they needed an eighty yard hail mary to do so. So I mean, it's it's a game is obviously a struggle. I think that I lean more to giving credit to Florida than I do taking away credit from Alabama. I think they had a good game plan. People should be talking up Emory Jones a little bit because he made really good plays, really good decisions, kept him in that game. And he, you know, they that kid, I'm not a Florida fan, but I have read that kid has been shredded. Oh, he has. About him. So for him to come up and play a good game, a controlled game, he might not have had a lot of wow plays. His one turnover was Drew Sanders absolutely drilling him in the rib cage and uh, you know, a good play on the ball. So he protected the ball. He had not a lot of wild plays, but he had a lot of plays that were important. Fourth down plays, third down plays, moving the chain. So I thought Florida played a good football game. I think Alabama had a very young team. It's, it's you know, Bryce was a little bit behind a few receivers. Alabama receivers had a few drops. We saw penalties. We saw the clock running down. I don't know how many times we saw him snap right as one turned to zero. So I think that crowd – was about as bad an environment as can get. 
Uh, Dan Mullen's a, a hell of a coach. He calls a great offensive game. He always has. Smart guy. And I think when you looked at Florida circled this game back in December, I think Alabama came out, you know, uh, and I expected them to win by another score, really. I think my prediction was 36 to 20. Um, but I didn't expect Florida to get that one score. And I think the one thing that's left the sourest taste in everybody's mouth is the play at the one for the drive from the one yard line that really never should have happened. No, I mean that whole series. You talk of- about a turning point in the game, and there were a couple, but third and ten from their own one. Florida's trying to punt, right? They're just oh, going to check the ball down on a quick pass. And all Alabama has to do is make a tackle short of the sticks. If they they're going to get the ball out around midfield up 12. If they and, were wrong, they could have ran for four to five yards. They'd have ran it to punt it. Right. That, that they were happened. trying to punt. And even, you know what, nobody's even talking about that's amazing. You know who was pulled off the fire? Was the guy that let it go out at the one. Oh, yeah, Weston. Nobody's that was Jamarcus Weston. Dude, I like, though, I, I did respect how he nonchalanted it. Like, Dude, eh, it's all good. Get the hell out of here. We'll go 99. We ain't worried. You know, I mean, that was oh. like, that was insane. That whole series. And then the play, obviously, Alabama looked backwards. You know, I thought the defense obviously gave up some big plays, but there was a lot of fourth downs the Gators got. I don't know the actual numbers, but they got several fourth downs. So that showed you this was all or nothing for them. Um, I know, you know, fans are prone to overreaction, but I don't, you know, I don't know how many teams, let me be honest. I don't know how many teams escape Florida Saturday with a win in the country, in the not co- many because in the, you can't convince me in that, that stadium. It just felt like the momentum was, was just going to overtake and everything. It, and that's it a, was, there's good players on that team. There's tsunami like. The momentum, the sense of it. Oklahoma, Oregon, Iowa. You can't convince me they'd have came out of there. Georgia has a chance because their defense is so good, but I really think it was Alabama and Georgia had the best chances to come out of there, um, you know, with the victory. Because I I think Florida at home is definitely a top five team. You know, we'll know more in in the next three weeks about both these teams because Florida, we'll see how they answer on Saturday at home against a Tennessee team that they should beat by a couple touchdowns. But then they go on the road to Lexington, a place that's been tough for them. They've won a ton up there and they've won a ton in that series against Kentucky. But that's a game to circle for Florida in a couple weeks. And look, perhaps Florida has Anthony Richardson good to go as early as this week to go along with Emory Jones at quarterback. That could certainly change the dynamic for that offense in general, but I'm with you. I think Emory Jones silenced a lot of the haters and trust me going into that game and in that stadium on Saturday, the boos were starting to crank up. It was 21 to three. Uh, Alabama had the ball with a chance to go up 28 to three with good field position. And, you know, like young teams, especially on the offensive side of the ball do Tim, that second quarter, the Alabama offense just didn't take advantage of the opportunity. You know, I, and I agree. I think the offense turned it, but the defense, there was a, you know, I don't want to be the dead horse here, but there was a lack of effort on s- several plays. I mean, there was a lack of effort on several plays. There was effort on other plays where they simply just didn't break down and they missed tackle. I mean, there's a lot. When you go back and I went back, just, just watch the defense. There's a lot of fundamental breakdowns where the defense were in the 
the right set, the right place, the right call to make a play and just simply didn't didn't make a play. So, yeah, and, and that's understanding, too, that the conditions were not easy. There's a and lot of slipping. Th- th- there was humidity. There was heat. Um, you know, with with the three and outs that the offense put up there in the second quarter, it took a toll on the defense. The defense could have helped itself, no doubt about it, by getting off the field in some situations. Um, but for Bryce Young, the further I get removed from that performance and understanding he was not perfect. There were some decisions he made in play that, yeah, if he's perfect, uh, things might've been different. Things would have been different. Uh, but understanding again, the environment and the elements in play and the fact that as a first year starter in that place, he had to beat back that environment twice because it was off the rails to start the game. And then in the third quarter, when Florida cut it to 21 to 16, it was even tougher to deal with. And I thought he did a hell of a job of that. He did. And you know, he's so good that we're at the stage of a, you know, a first year starter, three starts in and we're nitpicking, including myself. I did it. Hey, you got to run right there. And it's true. That play, he, Threw the double coverage, rolling to his right. He clearly had, uh, you know, he's got the speed and agility to get to that corner, get that first down marker, beat that linebacker, not take a hit, and then he throws in the double coverage. That's how good he is that we're nitpicking that stuff. And by the way, the ball bounced off the receiver's hands, I think. Yeah, still was he, a dime. He, he dropped <laughs> he yeah. dropped it in a basket. It's just a, almost, I wouldn't call that a drop by any means. That was would have been one of the greatest. Elam kind of grabbed Mechie's. Yeah. It was a really nice play by Elam. Yeah, he kind of grabbed Mechie's left hand at the moment of truth, and that essentially disrupted the play. So it would have been one of the best plays I've seen if that yeah. all came there. So, yeah, that's how we're nitpicking him. Um, and that game, to me, paves the way. We went through this last year, an Alabama team that we sat at the end of the year after after handling Ohio State fairly easily. Every Alabama fan basically says the greatest season I've ever seen. It was the greatest team I've ever seen. It was the best Alabama team that I've seen. So we went down that. But every single game, I'll remind them, Alabama was going to lose to the next one. They were going to lose to Ole Miss. They were going to lose to Georgia. They were going to lose to Florida. They were going all the way down the line until absolutely kicking the crap out of the Buckeyes. So I would remind that this, you know, it's a long season. Teams grow. It's it absolutely, and there are some old school coaches on that Alabama team who've seen a lot and developed. Now I know we've got a lot of questions too about younger players. I'm with you. I definitely would like to see more Malachi Moore and Brian Branch on the field at the same time. They're athletic. They're around the ball. They make plays. I agree. The same with Jalen Moody. I'd like to see him out there. He's around the ball. He makes plays. Um, so, but I mean, the coaches see him every day in practice. So they obviously know some things going forward. I think you can experiment a little bit more, but I do think this season is going to be in stages where you have a big game with Miami and then, a you know, a, a game where you're going to see Kool-Aid get a pick and you're going to see uh, some of those younger guys on the field against Mercer. Then you have a big game and then you turn around, you got Southern Miss, so maybe a chance to get a Latham or a George some some reps at right tackle and move them around a little bit and see uh, Deontay Lawson, to see Demoy Kennedy and some of those guys come out there. And then you got a big game with Ole Miss. So I think we're going to have to see this slowly in stages. But the end game for Alabama coaching staff is the first uh, 
at, to get to the SEC championship and then to get to the college playoffs and then win the college playoffs. And I think they're okay doing it step by step. I know they, I know they know they can't win it all in Gainesville on week three. No, it's kind of like golf to use an analogy. Um, you can't win a golf tournament uh, in the first round of a 72 hole event, but you can damn sure lose it. And so Alabama was not essentially great uh, at Florida, but it, it kept itself very, very much in the race. And look, if we're being honest, both for Florida and Alabama, that wasn't a divisional game. So the bigger games are actually still down the road. When you talk about Ole Miss and Texas A&M and the Western division opponents that Alabama has coming up, likewise for Florida with the, as I talked about Tennessee, Kentucky, Georgia still out there for the Gators. So, uh, and I'm with you, what you said from the outset, I tend to lean more. I anticipated a closer game. I think a lot of folks out there predicted a blowout. And then when it didn't happen, then what in the hell is wrong with Alabama? Well, I think it all depends on the perspective you had of the game going into it uh, as much as anything else. True. Yeah, I agree. I still think that it could have been another score game. Sure. But after the start. Um, but I do think that it was a it was a it's probably frustrating. You know, the thing about it is and in sports is so emotional and I'm the same way. If Alabama's down 21 to three and win 31 to 29, Alabama fans are through the roof this morning. Right. I mean, they are. What a great game. What a great comeback. That environment was so hard. But the fact they got up 21 to three and were so used. You know, the thing about it is you see Alabama up 21 to three in a lot of games. You never really see Alabama win 77. Right. They like Miami. There's a certain pullback. Let's get through this game mentality. I think let's get on to the next game. I think we've always seen it at Alabama. I think and and Florida, Florida, from a psyche perspective, did have the advantage of being just nine months removed from playing Alabama extremely close in Atlanta. So a lot of guys on that roster, you know, they came away from the game back in December feeling like, you know what, we can play with these guys. So unlike some other teams in which Alabama gets up 21 to three on it's over because from a psychological perspective, they, they don't think they have a chance. Florida had a little bit of an advantage in that regard that, it felt like, you know, we, we still can play with these guys, and um, maybe that played into it as well last Saturday down in Gainesville. Hey, um, Tim, I uh, had hair of the dog on Sunday for my Florida-Alabama hangover. I don't think it was as beneficial as, say, like a Bloody Mary equivalent of football would be when we talk hair of the dog, but uh, let's get into some Alabama in the NFL. I took in the Denver Broncos and the Jacksonville Jaguars in Jacksonville on Sunday, that quick turnaround. Um, I guess as a Jags fan who covers Alabama, I can at least say I saw Patrick Sertan the second's first career start, and he and Kareem Jackson in the game intercept Trevor Lawrence twice. That was a nice, the Broncos. That was a nice pick by Pat. Yeah, it was. It was right in front of us, and it was a hell of a catch. You know, the thing about Got his it, feet down. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's a lot. He's very similar, sort of like a Julio Jones to me, from the fact we really never heard much from Pat. And everything you've read in the preseason, all those Denver guys were like, this guy's a pro. This guy comes, you know, he brings it to the field. He's a lunch bell guy. He shows up every day. We heard, we heard that a lot. 
about Pat. He's just a quiet guy, but, man, he makes plays, and he looks good. I didn't see a lot of that game. I saw a couple quarters, but what I did, when I knew Pat had came in, I was definitely turning in trying to catch that Trevor and, and Pat uh, uh, one-on-one. Yeah, it was good. Um, Kareem also had a play on a run to the corner where it looked like James Robinson for the Jags had a great setup with Cam Robinson out in front. And it's pretty much Kareem and no one else uh, there at the corner. And Kareem gives this little duck move to Cam and is able to make a nice tackle on James Robinson. Even Cam, after the play, had to kind of acknowledge Kareem for the deafness in which he uh, managed to avoid Cam Robinson. So an impressive performance for those guys, but certainly tons of other Alabama products around the National Football League on Sunday. And really, I guess, going back to Thursday night, uh, Jonathan Allen just got paid in the offseason. That was a monster. Uh, Tim, six tackles, three tackles for a loss, two sacks, three quarterback hits. This dude just gets better and better. I mean, that's a lot, a lot of action for a defensive lineman. That's Aaron Donald-type stuff where you're getting two multiple sacks. First of all, it's hard to get a sack, so getting multiple is a big deal. And then tackles for loss. Yeah, he was everywhere. And a good time to show out because you don't really see the Washington football team. And I spent a whole summer saying the Washington football team in the mirror, so I didn't uh, – got rid of their old nickname in my head. It took forever. But you don't really see a lot of those guys. When you see them, you don't want to see them because they've never got good quarterback play. They never got a good offense, but they've got a hell of a defense. And um, it's a fun thing. I like the coach. I like what they're trying to do. They're obviously going to have to get a little better offensively. But it was good to see Alabama guys, and that's a team that really values uh, you know, the Alabama guys. You know, on the flip, And also, it was a great game, by the way. And then on the flip side, you had Xavier McKinney and Raglan were out there for the Giants. And, of course, the Giants have several guys you know, from the SEC also – Jeremy Pruitt, uh, Jody Wright, who was at Alabama. So a lot of stuff happening there. Burton Burns, yeah. Burton Burns, that was a lot of lot of Alabama players and former staff being in that game. It was a great it was a great game. I mean, the skin uh, well, I just did it. There but you the, go. The Washington football team missed a field goal, but they had a offsides and ended up making it. So Yeah. Yeah, that was a tough one on Dexter Lawrence. And, of course, Henry does his thing, which was... Yes, the you know the 2012 doubters. They were getting warmed up after that season opening performance, weren't they? And then... Uh, First quarter, we had... Tractor Cito goes off in the, the last two-plus quarters against the Seahawks. We had people saying, what's wrong with Derek? And it turned out nothing was wrong with Derek. He had, like, 240 total yards. I mean monster carries and uh um <clears throat> he's just a he's the freak kid i mean i don't know there's a discussion on the round table is he the the biggest freak i've ever seen um <clears throat> or we've ever seen i i mean a running back i would say yes right i mean is there a bigger freaky running back than Derek henry no no he has to be that dude he I has mean, to be that dude you know he's so unique you know the closest I can really think of would be a, you know, a tall running back would be like an Eric Dickerson or something, but he didn't mm-hmm. size. And, and Eric was, I mean, you go back to Jim Brown back in the, yeah, Jim the day day, but he, yeah, he relative was, to the competition. Jim Brown was Derrick Henry like back in the day. 
he's, he's he still looks like a monster. Jeff Brown, <laughs> he still looks like he's in great shape. But Derek's the biggest freak I've seen at running back for sure, and probably the biggest. You know, definitely. You know, we've seen a lot of like freaky type players at Alabama. Obviously, Julio's going to jump out there, but um, uh, he's that de- he's he's definitely up there. I was really, really, really happy to see. Derek Carr actually throw over 30 yards. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. You've said many times that not a good fit for Henry Ruggs III with Derek Carr and that offense, but uh, uh, you got an explosive performance from Ruggs on Sunday. I mean, the guy's got that world-class speed. We know he's got ball skills. Carr, I don't think he has a particularly strong arm, and also I think he's going to err on the side of caution. He's that kind of quarterback where you really don't want him to turn it over. Um, I'm not a huge car fan. I don't, I don't watch him on the field. I don't, I don't like him to be honest. Um, I just, uh, does he wear eyeliner? He, I'm not sure, but he also has to have a different helmet. Every, I mean, dude, come on. When you throw a pass, every time you miss somebody that receiver, I mean, I, I, if you, if you want to wear eyeliner, eyeliner, that's fine. I just, every time I see the dude, I'm thinking, He's got to have eyeliner. He's got, there's definitely dark around. Yeah, eyes, but yeah all, I don't know. Every time. It doesn't run, I guess. I mean, so maybe. He fumbled a ball that hit him in the hands on the snap, and he yelled at the center. <laughs> I mean, what the hell? I mean, a receiver, every every pass he misses can't be the receiver ran the wrong route. I find yeah. it hard to believe that everything. He's just that guy. And I mean, they got – they're good. The Raiders are good. They're a good football team. Um, two really – 2-0 now. Yeah, yeah, two really good games, two uh, pretty tough opponents. Is ben, is ben Roethlisberger washed? Is he, it over? He's done. I mean, Who are you going to, though? I mean. I'm telling you, I don't know you're why. You're Tomlin, you going to Dwayne Haskins? I'll tell you what I'm doing is I'm waiting for Green Bay Packers to lose another game, and I am making a trade offer for Aaron Rodgers and letting the Packers put this season on Jordan Love if that's their future, and just let it ride. I mean, why would you lose Aaron Rodgers at the end of the year for nothing? Yeah. And there are teams that Aaron Rodgers can step onto, and they're instantly no playoff to playoff, and that's probably the Steelers. It's probably the Saints. There's several teams that Aaron Rodgers that, that could trade for him, even in the middle of the season. Even in the middle of the season, they could trade for this guy and make a move. And by the way, Nashi had a pretty good game. Yeah, he did. First touchdown, right? Yeah, the running, the sledding was a little bit hard, but he had uh, five or six catches, close to 50 yards. Minka, you know, Minka's not getting enough press, but, man, he's a bad, that's a bad man. He is. Minka's we talk a, about Alabama DBs every week. Uh, Eddie Jackson had a low-key, really nice game against the Browns for the Bears on Sunday in that win. Absolutely. Minka's just always been my guy. Ronnie came back from a suspension. He did. That was a he good did. Game. You know what, though? That Chiefs assistant coach needs to keep his hands to him damn self over there on the sideline. I you know, agree. That, that play, yeah. you know, Ronnie can't do what he did. But what the hell is the, the assistant doing over there, putting his hands on people? The way I saw it, I thought that Ronnie – went to step over the guy yeah the, on the ground I think the coach thought he stepped on the guy intentionally yeah, yeah. But, but I think when Ronnie went to step over him I think the guy went to get up and when you're on your back you kick your knee up to get yeah. that forward momentum like a sit-up well yeah. when Ronnie went to step over him that knee came up Ronnie's foot goes straight down his knee to his stomach but a chief's lineman sort of bumped into him or whoever 53 is and the coach saw Ronnie. I, I, I don't have a problem with the coach sort of like 
hey, get off of him, but don't shove him with No, mouth. you can intervene without Yeah, you don't have to shoot doing can, the two hand shove. You yeah. Can, you don't have to shove with malice, especially a guy that can rip your head clean off your shoulder. Yes. So I didn't they didn't they didn't And Ronnie can go from zero to fifty pretty quick, by the way, if you haven't noticed. Right there. I mean, you know, your normal reaction is would be like an adult attacking you, you really have to really get up in your thirties for that to be something you expect. But when you're a kid, you don't expect somebody random at Walmart to yell at you. And when you're on a football field, you don't expect a coach to, to shove you. So Ronnie reacted pretty Ronnie told me I won't even have my back in a fight because he reacted pretty quickly. I mean, it wasn't a big deal. It was a huge game, great game, almost a Super Bowl atmosphere, especially for the Browns who were beyond hyped. Um uh, for that for that game, you know, a big big chance. The Chiefs are having some struggles, but I mean, I don't know. I I didn't I didn't think it was a big deal with Ronnie and the fact he wasn't suspended and we didn't see a hot take about it tells me a lot of people saw it the way I did. It was kind of like a series of unfortunate events. Stuff happens. Well, if the dude didn't raise his leg. Ronnie right. ended up stepping on him, and then right. another guy who didn't look to like bump into Ronnie intentionally. I think he. Went to the sideline and bumped into Ronnie. Right. Tension. So, and then the coach saw foot on him. I'm just glad Ronnie didn't throw a punch. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been tough to overcome. Hey, uh, bounce back performance of the weekend from the Alabama and the NFL perspective. And again, Charlie Potter for us does just a hell of a job compiling these uh, performances at BamaOnline.com. Damian Harris had to be happy for uh, Damian after the tough fumble against Miami in week one late. He goes for 62 rushing yards and a touchdown and Mac Jones sufficient. Once again, the Patriots get the W over CJ Mosley, Quinnen Williams and the New York Jets. CJ with 10 tackles and a pass breakup. Yeah, not bad. I saw him out there. He's flashing some reddish hair. Might be hot pink. I couldn't tell. Long hair. <laughs> Making tackles. Damian did have a solid game. Max gonna Max gonna be good. Um, he's in the perfect system. Of course, there was there was nobody that doubted that. But they really don't have great skilled players. They're gonna have to draft or sign some guys. You know who I saw a lot of was uh, heard his name a lot was Christian Barmore. He, yeah, three tackles. He jumped. Yeah, he. He was active. He was in that backfield a lot, which is good, like you want to see. Quinnen, I still expect to see more out of Quinnen, but that Jets team, man, that's a mess. I mean, they got the the Wilson. You know the thing in the NFL, we discuss this every year, and it is such a pet peeve of mine because I'm in my mind a GM. But you cannot draft a wide receiver waddle when you can't keep your quarterback clean. You can't draft Jamar Chase when you can't keep your quarterback clean. No. Burrow's taking hits. Tua's taking hits is out. Tua made it, what, a series, maybe? Yeah, they're taking wide receivers. I love Waddle. Everybody knows how great I think Waddle is. Um, but I, but they two, have not addressed that offensive line. Six, they've got a guy, the San Diego Chargers, and this is why the lower teams always are good. The playoff-type teams end up getting that offensive lineman Slater from Northwestern, who's absolutely stonewall Chase Young. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So got to, it kills me that these teams will take a wide receiver when they can't keep their franchise. Joe Burrow's taking hits after hits. You know, they can say what they want about being tough. Tough don't matter. You take enough hits, you know, it's like any any bar fight. You take enough hits, you're going down. So Yeah, you got Jonah Williams starting at left tackle for those right. guys. 
Yeah, so they had a, yeah, yeah, that's absolutely they could have added a tackle. And then the best thing is what I was reading is that Joe Burrow really pushed for Chase. Well, yeah, he did. He's a kid and wants to throw touchdowns. He doesn't realize getting Yeah, it. if we're playing seven on seven, hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, I'm going to say the Jets taking a quarterback without – I mean, the Jets are – I don't know. The Jets would need to restart the – they'd have to redo the draft like a, bad, a fantasy team to have them – give them a chance. And the Giants are another one. I don't know what – Those yeah. to, for those teams to be in New York and be that high profile, what's it been? I mean, the Jets haven't won a Super Bowl. Well, the Giants went top right? 10 for an offensive tackle out of Georgia two drafts ago, right? Andrew Thomas? Six for a tackle. Yeah ranked third, fourth, or fifth by most people, and that had several guys who were out playing Thomas. And Thomas is having some issues. Mm-hmm. You know who else is having issues on the offensive line is Alex Leatherwood. He's having uh, penalty issues, although last week, <laughs> two weeks ago, they're at the <laughs> one-yard line. Going back to my guy, David Carr. They're at the one-yard He goes hard count. He goes hard line. count. Got Alex. Yeah. Why in the hell are you hard? That was some look at me ish. If you ask me by the quarterback, you know, we discussed, watch me hard, watch me hard count them here. Watch me hard count them here. From the what? What are you hard counting them for? Six inches? Yes. And it's a quarterback draw. And the the other side is you go back to the six with a false start. Absolutely. Nice. You got him. It was Alex, but you got him. But I still have always thought Alex might project better on the interior. I still kind of think that James Carpenter. All over again, I think. I, I could, yeah, I can see that. But a good week for the NFL. I mean, it's hard to, you know, Mac. I'm really, I'd really like to see Mac Jones, and I think they'll start to put those pieces around Mac because they have some pretty good things. I don't, I don't love their offensive line. You know, the thing is, like, when you look around the NFL, like Jalen Hurts is in a good position. That Eagles offensive line is pretty solid. They got that big rugby player. Have you seen him at left? Yeah. yeah. That dude went left to block a guy going wide. And another guy came inside and he, he just chest shoved him to the ground. I mean, literally, he just reached out with his right hand while not looking and shoved the grown man down. It was very impressive. So you got to have that offensive line. Um, I mean, you'd know if I was ever secretly a GM, you'd know because you'd be like, damn, that team took seven offensive line. <laughs> That's all I don't have any of Tim's picks on my uh, fantasy <laughs> team because they're all offensive linemen. Yes. Where's Tim at? <laughs> They're drafting for that team. So I think that's uh, – but I do think Mac has easily been the best rookie quarter, quarterback. I don't even think it's a discussion, actually. I mean, there's been a, a world of difference. But, again, he was in the perfect system um, to walk into that. I it's a quarterback-friendly system, the way that Belichick and – you know, they go about their business there in, in New England. They just, they want you to be first and foremost, just efficient, take care of the football, you know, don't put us in bad spots and, um, you know, a couple of three times a game deliver for us. And he's more than capable of doing that. He can do more. And I think in time he will, but right now, just in terms of efficiency, when you look at max numbers in comparison to Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence, it's not even close because I can tell you as a Jaguars fan, what Urban Meyer and the offensive staff in Jacksonville is asking or hoping that Trevor Lawrence can do to this point isn't in touch with reality based on the personnel around him at all, at all. And I think a lot of it goes back to Urban not used to losing, so he's not patient enough that, okay, this is who we have to be right now until we can be 
what we want to be. He wants them to be something offensively right now, Tim, that the Jaguars simply are not capable of being. Whereas in New England, that's very realistic. It's very achievable what they're asking Mac to do at this point. I agree. And, you know, Urban Myers walked into really good, like Ohio State. Absolutely. He walked into Ohio State. They had a ton of talent. He walked into Florida. Ron Zook knew how to recruit. You know, they had yeah. talent at Florida. He walked into Jacksonville, and they ain't got nothing. Every, no. Every first-round pick is playing somewhere else, it seems like. I mean, I know the quarterback's gone. Jalen's gone. Leonard Fournay's gone. I'm sure there's, I think, the defensive end with a yeah. lot of Yeah, yeah. He, He's Elias Campbell so still making plays, but absolutely. in Baltimore. Yeah. yeah. They so they're in a complete rebuild. And it's definitely really you want to be playing for another top five pick while getting experience. Winning's the last of your words. Yeah. You just want to keep your guys healthy and develop something and not, you know, totally shred, you know, Trevor Lawrence is, you know, shred Trevor Lawrence's confidence. I mean he's 14 of 33. Yeah. Well, and they're asking him again to do things that he isn't ready to do at this point in his development. And even if he was, the people around him can't do it on the other end. You know, he doesn't have a true number one receiver. He has an offensive line that is suspect at best in the ways of pass protection. So uh, what we've seen through two weeks with Urban Meyer has only fueled the speculation that his shelf life in Jacksonville may not be all that long. I really think, and we'll move on from this after that, but I really think they need to get Chenault more involved. They try to. Bigger. I, I think I think Chenault, he flashes at times. I'm not sure if he's a feature guy. I'm not sold on that yet. He might be. But yeah. for now, they need him to consistently make some tough catches, and he hasn't done that yet. Maybe he will, but, uh, yeah, they got – they got the issues in Jacksonville, no doubt about it. We're going to do a break. When we come back. We'll get more into some Mississippi recruiting, and we will go headlong into the BOL roundtable mailbag. It's a full mailbag this week, Tim. We could literally close out the show with that. And in large part, that's what we're going to do when the Bama Online Podcast returns right after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Back with more of the Bama Online Podcast. This one on a Wednesday, September the 22nd, 2021. Welcome fall. Welcome to fall officially. Travis Schreier, Tim Watts taking you through the latest edition of the Bama Online Podcast. Tim, uh, you got an Alabama two-step 
with Mississippi schools coming up in the next two Saturdays. Southern Miss visits Bryant-Denny Stadium Saturday night for a 6.30 Central kickoff. That game will air on SEC Network. And then, of course, the much-anticipated return to Tuscaloosa by Lane Kiffin, Ole Miss head coach, as the Rebels surging more and more the narrative involving Ole Miss as a potential college football playoff contender as early as this season. Hey, based on what we've seen around college football so far this season, why not? Um, but t- but yeah. Tim, what? But Tim, I'm sorry. What we want to get into uh, some of the history of Alabama recruiting the state of Mississippi under Nick Saban. You know, you go back and you think about it. I know you can tell us so much about this. Uh, there's been a real concerted effort, and I guess when you look at the state of Mississippi too, you have to break it down more so than other states by junior college recruiting and I guess high school recruiting. Yeah, you know, I went back, and there's been, you know, the thing about, you know, that saying is the juice worth a squeeze. I would say I'm not sure Mississippi's been working. I know, yeah. You had, they've got guys, and I went back and looked. Obviously, they've hit on big guys. Raekwon, Norwood, who's you and I, one of our favorite receivers we've seen at Alabama, came up so clutch in the 11 National Championship game, got a cup of coffee in the NFL. Anthony Steen was a small school private guy that, that did really, really well. And you see Byron Young out there now, but for the most part, a lot of the guys just really hasn't panned out. I mean, they signed Kadarius Callaway who transferred before the season started to go to junior college. So there's been like two or three of those kind of guys too, hasn't there from the state of Mississippi? Yeah. Rod Woodson going back was that kind of dude. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it has, you know, but you look, I mean, you start adding in the junior college guys and you've got, um, uh, Isaiah Bugs is one that that did well. Savion Smith was a was the was the Ter- guy. Terrence that, Cody. Terrence I mean, Cody. Yeah, those are the Dequan Menzi, Quentin Dial. Yeah, you, the junior college is what sort of changed it. Uh, you know, when you look at the recruiting more than the than the actual guys. I mean, obviously Raquan Davis was a huge guy, but you see a guy like Brandon Turnage who ended up leaving. Um, you know, really probably a guy that had a chance to play a little bit year. Callaway came in and decided he didn't want a red shirt this year, I guess, and just, you know, you know, went to junior college and I guess it's always possible he could bounce back. But for the most part, considering all the drama and all the effort that's went into to Alabama, to, to Mississippi, I think it's probably just been is a little more ho-hum than I expected. It's not like Louisiana when we break them down every year. Mississippi's been you know, a little bit of a disappointment to me. And with that, let's get into the roundtable mailbag. And we'll start with Crimson D247, who, as you alluded to earlier in the show, uh, asked about some of the younger guys on the offensive line that we think the staff should roll with. Uh, given the current status of the offensive line. I think you touched on it, too. Game like Saturday, another opportunity to perhaps see a good bit of Damian George, maybe J.C. Latham, uh, who we've seen working at guard here of late, uh, in addition to tackle. Um, You know, I may be in the minority on this. I thought the offensive line was pretty much fine against Florida. Now, you didn't like the goal-to-goal situation there in the fourth quarter when you have an opportunity to put the game away and you're not able to punch that in. But on the other side of that is that when Alabama needed a first down with under three minutes to go Saturday, 
in Gainesville, they were able to do that by running the football. So, you know, I think, again, some of the names that we've mentioned, George, uh, Latham, uh, right now when I think about possibilities uh, in, in relation to the current five that's out there, those would seem to be at the top of the list. But I don't get the sense right now that there's imminent change coming to that first group, Tim. Yeah, I, I, me, I don't know if there's, you know, the coaches obviously have a lot more. They see these guys a lot more than we do. Me personally, as a recruiting guy, I've seen a little bit of George and I like what I saw. So I like to see a little bit more. Uh, obviously, we want to see Brockermeyer and Latham work themselves in. For me, it's more about planning for the future um, and getting those guys reps when they can, which is what I hope with Southern Miss. I thought the line played okay. I, thought, I think Florida had a, you know, had a good, I felt Miami had a good defensive line. I think that was our only union I felt that that was pretty solid, and I think Florida had a good had a good defensive line, a good active defensive line. But like you said, when they needed to run the ball, they ran the ball every time in that game. Alabama needed to score, they did score. I don't feel like the I felt like pass protection was really good. I didn't see Bryce getting you know heated up that often. Um, yeah, he was sacked twice. One was an intentional grounding on right. his part. And then another, he had time and coverage, I think, was a problem for him. And he sort of drifted into a sack. Absolutely. So over I, on the right side of the offensive line. I feel like the pass per protection was better. Run game, I just think they were stacked against the run. I think they did a good job of play calling and scheming against us, though. But yeah, I'd like to see younger guys simply because I'm a recruiting guy. I want to see, I want to see that product on the field. So. But I do think, um, you know, obviously the coaches will know better than we ever will because they're seeing them every day in practice, not for third. You know, I mean, they're seeing them at length at practice. So um, I'm assuming they, you know, I have no reason to doubt they're putting their best team on the field. Yeah, and look, I'm going to say this for Bryce Young, too. Uh, we talked about him drifting into a sack at Florida. He 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 spares the offensive line some sacks at times, too, Absolutely. with his ability to climb the pocket and no. extend plays. No doubt about that. Jared Burns, our guy here on the roundtable message board and in the mailbag. What are Alabama's odds with Cormani McLean and David Hicks, Tim? No, he's uh, jumping into 2023 on us. That's why I love him. He's uh, skipping. <laughs> he's not even worried about 22. Everybody else worried about 2022. How are we going to finish, Tim, in 2023? You know, I think right now we had, uh, um, you know, Aggies might have a little bit of edge for David Hicks. Um, still early, so early with these guys. Bama's in it. It's going to have all the national guys. Clemson, uh, LSU, and some others will be involved in there. Um the uh, McLean kids a little bit more wide open to me, you know, and I really, most of these guys are wide open. You know, we were discussing this about Arch Manning right now, last night. Nobody really knows where anybody, any, a lot of these guys are going. They're still 18, 15, eight, 15 to 18 months before they sign. Alabama's involved with both. Um, you know, I think the push for a lot of the 2023 kids comes for Alabama after December anyway. So, uh, but Alabama's in the mix for both of them. Jared also asks in the thread, is Slade Bolden still the starter in the slot when Alabama plays LSU in early November? That's an interesting question because we've seen more and more of JoJo Earl in the slot. Slade, of course, had the drop of a sure touchdown pass against Florida in that wild third quarter on Saturday. It ultimately got covered up for, got taken care of, erased by 
a Brian Robinson touchdown run on that same possession. But Tim, we do see more and more of Jojo Earl, not only in the slot, but also on punt returns. And um, I think Alabama's in a good spot with both those guys, but I also believe for an offense that at times struggles to produce explosive plays, uh, the easy touches that you can get Earl and he can provide you with more of that is probably going to get harder and harder to, to look away from. Yeah, I think I don't know if he'll be the starter. I think Slags did something the coaches like. They probably like the the uh, the experience. They probably like that he's an upperclassman and all that stuff. But I think you're definitely going to see JoJo get more snaps. And I think that was inevitable. I don't think it's so much necessarily about Slay Bolden. I think JoJo's that good. That's explosive. And if this kid had been on campus in January, in mid-year, I think there's a chance he very well could have been a starter when all said and done. you got to remember, he just got here this summer. He's figuring a lot of things out. Um, but the guy is is very explosive. Brings a little bit of twist from the Mechie to Jamison Williams. He's a little bit different than those wide receivers. So it gives him a little bit more variety. So I don't think it's so much about Slade. I mean, it's obviously the drop. Everybody's going to drop passes. I mean, that's a terrible one to drop, but at the end of the day, it didn't haunt him. But I think when you look for explosive plays, JoJo's definitely has a better chance of that than Slade does. I think Slade has to maintain that sort of rep as being dependable. Um, and so the drop against Florida can't be something we see a continuation of because last year he had a couple of turnovers that kind of he did put the ball on the ground. So as those melt up. You can't be the lunch pail guy. Forget your lunch. Right. And if Earl is dependable on top of the explosiveness, yeah, that's that's where the 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 switch could come into play. Uh, Jared Burns with another one. Do all three of Byron Young, DJ Dale, and Justin Aboyby return for their senior years in 2022? To this point, I would say they're all three back. Um, Unless they're just ready to get going. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't see first day, maybe even second day grades no, for those guys for twenty twenty two. Still think Byron. He flashes that potential sometimes. Dale's just sort of a space hog. You know, he gets in there. You don't really hear his name a whole lot. Um, but Byron's going to flash a little bit. And I think he's a guy that really, you know, really is going to benefit as this season goes on. I think you can see a little bit more of that. You know, how Christian started out a little bit slow, but we saw flashes, and then he sort of. You know, towards the end, really, you know, really was playing consistent or better football. So I think we could see that out of Byron. I hope he's the breakout guy in that group. Freddie 83 asks, what do you think is up with the D-line development? Have we missed on evals or is it an effort technique thing? Also, do you believe it can be corrected? Uh, Last thing is, do you think any of the young receivers besides Earl will become significant as far as production goes? This season, I think the play of the defensive line obviously is a hot button item this week following Florida's 258 yard rushing output against Alabama last Saturday. Prior to Saturday, I thought the trend had been with that defensive line, especially that group of third year players that they had evolved and become what you would expect them to be. I think part of it, too, is you give Florida a lot of credit and. Some of it is technique, I would think. I don't think as much of it is just outright effort because if you're not giving effort with the depth Alabama has along its defensive line, you're probably not going to be on the field a lot to begin with. But 
What you did see, and you talked about this with Byron Young in terms of how he can flash from time to time and make some plays, but in a game like last Saturday, it's not about making plays. you got to play the technique. you got to play your gap. you got to play with leverage. And you saw Byron a couple times get a little bit high, maybe try to do a little bit too much on his own, and he paid the price. Like on Malik Davis's 26-yard touchdown run, Byron got hit with a double team that rolled him up about four yards out. Dale got kicked out. So, you know, I'm sure for Freddie Roach, Tim, the last few days has been about going back to fundamentals at the base level. This is what we've got to do in our gap. This is what we've got to do from a pad level perspective. You know, it's stuff that really, frankly, three years into this, you don't expect to have to sort of resort back to with a, a veteran group. Yeah, I think that you I think this this team still, I mean, still a lot of learning going on, even on the defensive side of the ball. I still think the defense is going to be good. Again, I saw a lot of uh, it to me that game was just really I mean, missed tackles, weird yeah. play, you know, there was a lot of it was almost a mixture of a player not making a play and then a call that probably wasn't as aggressive. I mean, I don't know the the X's nose like a Nick Saban does, but obviously Nick Saban felt they had a pretty good game plan. But he did say with the with the with the Emory Jones and the option that took him out of some stuff they wanted to do. So obviously they had a good enough game plan to counterpoint it. Um, the gashing of the running game isn't just on the defensive lines at Alabama. There's linebackers that were missing tackles left and right. Yeah, and making plays to take a two three yard gain into an eight yard game a lot it's not just the defensive line that was poor against the run it was also the linebackers you know we've evolved because of the passing game so much tim to twitch and 225 pound inside linebackers the terrence cody's of 10 12 years ago they're extinct you don't see as much 350 plus interior defensive linemen but florida showed you that you better still have a couple of those dudes um, either at the linebacker level and or your defensive front. And it's also why, like even in this most recent recruiting class, Tim, you saw Alabama take some big dudes. Uh, Tim Keenan being prime among those. Look at this latest class with Jaheim Otis. It's a 370-pound dude. There's still a place for those guys, Tim, in football. Absolutely, especially situational. I mean, you know, I'm not going to be a – three down guy, but I mean, in goal line of fourth and one, I mean, if you can take a fourth and two and clog your middle, you're relying on them beating you outside probably. And that's where you're going to have to count on your linebackers to make plays. And if you've got athletic guys like Drew Sanders and, and Anderson, you've got a chance to stop that play. But if they've got the option of plugging that thing up the middle, so it's a lot more difficult, you know, and I thought Drew, I, I don't know about you, but I think Drew's getting a little bit better each week. He's still a little bit, you know, he'll he'll get out of position, which yeah. I think is M.O. last year because he's such a fine ball get ball. You know, Mac Wilson was that way. He you played know? a screen perfectly Saturday. They were in zone coverage. He saw it early. He comes up and makes a stop for like a two-yard loss. And then he plays the option incorrectly. That's kind of where he's at, like you said, in his development. But he's going to be really, really good and physically – he's not where he's ultimately going to be at this point either. And when you have those guys that are basically find ball, get ball, sick them, like you did, like I was saying with the Mac Wilson, Christian Barmore, 
Drew Sanders, they are going to follow that play fake because they are they are following that that football. They are going after that, so he's going to have to learn to be patient. We saw it last year, and it took Barmore a little longer to get on the field because of that. Because Lord, if they'd ever ran a double reverse, Barmore would have been clear on the other bench. You know, he <laughs> he was chasing that original ball. It would have you know because he'd get out, but he's so aggressive. But I think you want a, an aggressive guy that will attack. You know, more than you want a passive guy that's just going to wait on the play. Freddie also asking about the young receivers besides Earl. We've seen Treshawn Holden fairly early in games the last couple weeks. So I would think he's at the top of that list in terms of how the pecking order of the top five or so in that rotation. But right now, Jamison Williams uh, continues to do some really nice things as the transfer from Ohio State. Uh, Mechie with. You know, not his typical game against Florida. Seven catches for 42 yards now. Mechie did draw like three pass interference penalties on Florida defenders, so you have to take that into account as well. But, yeah, right now it's very defined in terms of the top three or four. The thing with, with Holden, does he not look the part? Oh, yeah. He rolled yeah. out there. He looks like do something, young man. Do something, young fella. Uh, obviously a big guy, you know, had some drives, but I think he's got, you know, there's something there that could go. We've seen a little bit of Baker in games too. So I think they're trying mm-hmm. to figure out that class and that class better rise up that, 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 that group, that sophomore group with, uh, um, uh, Baker with the, uh, and Holden yeah. and Caillou Jones bell. Yeah. They come with it because not only is there a true freshman group, Who's Hall and Brooks? And there's probably going to be some guys coming in in this class that's going to be able to push that envelope as well. Bama Dan uh, would like to hear our thoughts on which positions and young players might emerge during the course of the season to make the team stronger. I think we've hit on some of those. Uh, Bama Dan thinks there is a good bit of young talent, maybe similar to the 2017 team in some ways. Although he realizes that group of wide receivers together was maybe once in a generation. Yeah, Bama Dan, I'm going to agree with you there on that 2017 wide receiver group. And then in 2018, he came with Jalen Waddell. That was a, a tough one-two punch. all this hype before the year that Ohio State had the best wide receiver room ever. Yeah. That, their guy yeah. was a guy's name, Olave. He didn't even have a catch this week. Olave, imagine, yeah. Imagine yeah. not having a catch. Yeah. He had catches when he was three years old playing flag football. So Doc- totally underappreciated group in Alabama by some people. Dr. Back here in the roundtable message, uh, uh, roundtable mailbag. Uh, he asked me about a guy I know, Chris Ryer, younger brother, oh, of course, gosh. of yours truly. What is old CR up to these days? Dr. Back wants to know. Well, Chris is, gosh, it's 15 years or so into his time as a, uh, a coordinator of video for the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's right. He was, uh, he was hired way back by Tom Coughlin during Tom, Coach Coughlin's time as the head coach in Jacksonville. And uh, he's gone through a few coaching regimes down there in Jacks. Most recently, Doug Marone, who, by the way, Chris, a big fan, loves Doug Marone, still keeps up with Marone who, of course, now is the offensive line coach at Alabama. So, uh, Chris, still very much involved with football, still with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Dr. Back also wants to know if we're hearing anything on Damon Payne, the true freshman defensive lineman 
maybe some thoughts on moving Terry and Arnold to safety. Uh, because as Dr. Back notes, there seems to have more solid depth at corner than safety. Damon Payne, I think, like the rest of this incoming freshman defensive line group, well, the expectation was with the experience you were returning up front, you weren't going to need to rush these guys onto the field. Um, and I, st- I still think that's the case, even after the, the, the performance against Florida. But uh you hearing anything specific on Damon other than, you know, he's a little bit of a developmental guy at this point? I mean, they kind of expected he'd be a guy that if he played, it would be it would be little. I haven't really heard anything on him um, lately, to be honest. You know, so I think he's a guy. I mean, I would, you know, go into defensive line. I did feel like the defensive line was gassed in that game late. Um, I do think rotating a little bit earlier, maybe getting some of these guys in, at least getting to, again, get their feet wet against the Mercers and the Southern Misses and, uh, that kind of stuff, and you know they still get four four games or whatever can redshirt. So I do think that those are big bodies that you mentioned. You talk about big bodies, Alabama signed. Payne is a big boy. You know that's a big guy. So um, when you need some more daddies, they need to develop some more daddies. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I'm missing that right now. And you want to have some experience for next year. You don't want to have a cycle mm-hmm. where these guys are always learning on the job. You know, you want them to learn as they go along a little bit as at a time. Terry and Arnold, any thoughts on him potentially to safety? I think he could play anywhere. Kind of like Mika. I do. I really, he's another guy that I felt, and I think he probably could get on the field now. I've heard nothing but good things, but again, they've got, you know, you know, they're having, you know, they've got to get branching more on the field, more in my opinion, Nick Saban said the same thing. Uh, So when you're trying to get them on the field, it's hard to get, you know, Arnold in there. Didn't really get you didn't get Kool Aid in the last game either. Who's who's showing some promise? But um, yeah, I think Arnold could play anywhere. I mean, I think that he wasn't limited to corner safety. He could be a star, versatile athlete. But he's a guy similar to JoJo that you have to wonder what would have happened if he was here in January. You know, had that mm-hmm. basketball player. Of course, it made sense for him to go finish out his basketball career. But you you have to wonder that eight extra months, that spring and all, what all it could have done to help him. But I've heard nothing but good things as it is. Same with Earl. So obviously Malachi proved you don't have to be there in January to make a big impact as a true freshman. So I think we're going to see a little bit more experimenting back there. I mean, obviously with Wright, Battle, DeMarco, you know, upperclassmen, you want to see them step up and take control. But if they don't, you've got some guys. I have to start making some plays. Yeah, you've yeah. Got some guys. You know, I was talking to an NFL guy that said, if there's guys on a team as loaded as Alabama, this is what he was talking about, the NFL. If they don't want to hit, there's somebody behind them that will die right. to hit. He said there's somebody behind. That's what he said is the beauty of the NFL. Same with when you get to that level of Alabama and, you know, you know Georgia's defense and Ohio State's offense. When you get that level, Clemson's defense, you've got guys. And we talked about this in 17. There was no competition. you got guys behind them now who will hit, who will fight, who will claw who will, you know, who get the speech from every, any given Sunday. Every inch matters. You yeah. got to do that, so get them out there. Yeah, we understand, you know, with targeting coming into play as much as it has, it's kind of changed the approach that maybe safeties and even linebackers have to take, but uh, there's still a way to stone folks uh, once you get to that second level that uh, you'd like to see more of from the Alabama defense moving forward. Jam Bama. Jam Bama in the mailbag. 
he wants T. Watts to discuss why the two four five defense against the run will make our D line look bad since so many can't understand this concept and handle that. What's that? I'll let you handle that. <laughs> well, I think what Jam's talking about and theoretically he's correct. What you saw yeah. from Alabama against Florida was um two defensive linemen, four linebackers, and the nickel behind it. But the way that Alabama uses its outside linebackers, like Will Anderson, like Drew Sanders, is essentially defensive ends. Now, that can be tough against run-heavy offenses because we're still talking about guys that are in that sort of 230, 240 range from a size perspective. So you're giving up something uh, against run games, especially those that are versatile enough to you know, get downhill on you a little bit. So you're working with primarily guys like DJ Dale, Byron Young together. We saw Fedarian Mathis, Justin Aboigby. And these guys are more along the lines of defensive ends today because, as we alluded to earlier, so much about it is dedicated to the passing game of offenses. So when you get goofy-footed a little bit, see Alabama against Florida in December played essentially the same sort of defense you saw on the field a lot against Florida last Saturday. The difference, of course, was that you had Kyle Trask in that passing game in December without much threat of the run. Whereas this time around with Emory Jones and this Florida offense, there was more of the threat of the run. So, yes, um, I think Alabama actually opened the game in its base 3-4 or had more of a look of a, uh, you know, three defensive linemen with an outside linebacker, but played a lot in the uh, two linemen, four linebackers, and the nickel defense. So, yeah, it definitely makes it more difficult to stop the run uh, in general. No doubt about that. Um, Jam Bama also wants to know, Tim, is Isaiah Hastings uh, a dancing bear? No, I like this film. You know, I really like this film, and it 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 reminded me of Christian Barmore when I first saw him. You know, I was a huge fan of Christian and a big guy that can move who's active. Look, Defensive linemen, by nature, the smart ones, including Deron Payne and a lot of other people that watch their game film, are always disappointed about the dumbest shit. To be honest with you, they're like, "He don't chase that side of the field. He don't hustle in every play." When you're 320 pounds, you really don't need to be chasing a <laughs> a sweep to the other side of the field, you know. Especially when you're also an offensive lineman on that same team. So, defensive linemen are harshly criticized with their high school film. What I look for are they active. Do they chase the ball? Do they smell the ball? When they're getting near the ball, are they killing themselves trying to get that? I see that in Hastings. I saw it in Barmore. I saw it in Deron Payne where I had people worried about was he too heavy and all that stuff. You know, when he was – it was the summer before his senior year, stuff that doesn't really matter. You know, guys – big guys play in shape. But, yeah, Hastings is a guy that's got that flash. He's got that. There's a lot of defensive linemen I'll see ranked high who all they basically do is leaning on somebody and making tackles. And the one that really confuses them is when they grab a running back and sling him. They all think that's a big deal. It's not really a big deal. But when I see guys that, that pop, those are, you know, the, the film I put on Bam Online was three high school games. That's an active guy. That's an active big guy. There's no doubt there's probably some plays he takes off, but, you know, you know between, uh, between plays, which is very normal for a guy that size. 
But um, what I saw just on the highlights, yeah, I liked him a lot. I don't, he's not going to get the Timmy Smith Dancing Bear label. Timmy's about to lose it if he don't get in here and make some plays. Yeah. Timmy's about to be a sitting in a chair not used to Dance Bear if we don't mm. see more Timmy. But, um, yeah, he's got the potential. He reminded me of Bar- same feeling I got when I first watched Barmore. I got with Hastings. Like, dang, this guy, this guy's pretty freaking good. Lastly, from Jambama, he wants to know best comedy sitcom of the 1990s. What's at the top of the list? You know, I'll go very unpolitical correct and say married with uh, children. And Seinfeld. Damn good. Yeah. Seinfeld. Married with children is hilariously not politically correct it's so over the top it is a crazy good cast al bundy you know peg daughter crazy good that would be one i love i mean there's some that sprinkled in i was looking at the time frame love king of queens i like the cosby show obviously that's Fresh prince of bel-air prince of bel-air Sizer. cheers the cheers touch seems like cheers touched that right i may i guess crossed over okay I mean, you got seinfeld and friends yeah in the 90s those are beasts. 90s was dominated by by 30-something-year-olds playing 20-year-olds and 20-something-year-olds playing teenagers. And, and you know, in the 90s, HBO started to get in the game. So was with, that – would that with, have been Sex in the City back then? I think it – I think it might have been. But, I mean, you know, you, you, had, you had HBO getting in the game. I got engulfed by the HBO programming with the Sopranos and oh, – Six feet under and stuff like that. It just uh, it overtook me. Yeah, yeah. That, that was a good era, but I do remember Melrose Place and uh, that was uh, late eighties. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, that was I know right that, at ninety. Yeah, I think you're like, right. Nine hundred two one zero had a bunch of thirty year olds playing teenagers. And, you know, I mean, I'll never forget the Andrea girl. I always thought maybe some, you know, one of the Melrose play shows, you know, you'd have some overlap, right? Um, somebody from Melrose place is dating one of the 90210. Didn't you have Saved by the Bell in the 90s? Does that count? That sounds right. Saved by yeah. the Bell sounds right. For the kids. Uh, yeah. Oh, about the uh, James Vanderbeek show. That had to be the 90s, right? Uh Dawson's Creek. Yeah. It had to be the 90s. Weren't they all like lumped Was together? that a comedy? I, I guess. Know. Yeah, I mean, it was a comedy to me. I'd watch it now. All right. All right. The Sopranos. The Sopranos was a comedy to me. It absolutely is a comedy. Let me tell you. Funny as hell. I mean, if you don't laugh at Pauly Walnuts and Chrissy, well, we I don't know what's, what's wrong with you. Well, my second son, who's sort of into that gangster role, we started watching um, Sopranos with him. Mm-hmm. And I told Heather there's a spinoff show called uh, um, Lily Hammer. I don't know if you've seen that. It started, yeah, it's kind of like Sill goes over to started it with Heather. Europe. Yes, it's it's amazing because we just finished some Norwegian show called Norsemen, which is like a complete comedy of the shows that are so popular, like Vikings. So when we finished that, we're watching. It sort of crossed over. We're watching that. Had a female in it lead who was also in the uh, Lilyhammer cast, but we're watching Sopranos, and you know he's he's so funny on Sopranos. So I told mm-hmm. Heather, I said, actually, there's two people in the show, Lilyhammer. I don't know a lot of people that seen it, 
but I watched it back in the day, and it, to me, it's just hilarious. I uh, wish there would have been a Paulie and Christopher Moltisanti spinoff, just those two guys from The Sopranos. A to season one, and I don't mm. know if you recall, but Christopher was writing his play. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. And yeah. He, my the horror son, movie. Yeah. Son was dying laughing because he's like, How do I save this or whatever? And they showed his writing and <laughs> <laughs> he was spelling at that's not even a third grade level. No. He was D E no. D. He was <laughs> he got the he got the drip on him instead of yeah. the, not typos. Yeah. Dude, it was hilarious. Chris was While drinking heavily and experimenting with hard drugs. Yes. Yeah. Hey, yeah. hot young chick. He was, uh, <laughs> he, had a, he had a lot, he got a lot of respect for Christopher. Oh, Bama 116 as we wrap this thing up. Wants to know the chances of Alabama landing the commitment, the five-star corner, Denver Harris, Tim. You know, the, he. I feel like Alabama's in good shape and have for a while. He's supposed to actually commit today. We're still trying to figure, um, Figure out if he is committing today. I think today's his birthday. He was scheduled to commit. First, it was going to be on CBS. Then I think it was supposed to be on ESPN. Then I think he's not sure if he's going to commit. He goes to North Shore, obviously. Alabama's got a couple good players from there in the past. They have a good relationship. Five-star defensive back from Texas. I feel like Alabama's in good shape. I feel like they did a good job. But – if any time a kid has an announcement, if he delays it, you have to start digging to try to find out what the reason might be. And sometimes it's as simple as my dad's out of town and couldn't be there today, so I postponed it. That happens all the time. Or my, I want my girlfriend or my grandmother to be there. There's dozens of simple reasons why people postpone their announcement. Or it could be, hey, I'm, not, I'm having second doubts. I'm not sure I'm ready to commit. Maybe this other school made a push. So that's what we have to figure out now. If he's delaying – and why is he delaying? But Alabama's did a good job there. I mean, um, uh, have been recruiting him. Carl Scott laid the groundwork, and and the new DB coach was recruiting him at Texas, so switched right over. Jay switched right over when he got to Alabama, still recruiting him. So they've got that relationship there. You know, now it's just down to what's the kid want to do and when's, when's he want to do it. But I feel like Alabama's did everything they could there. If I'm making prediction, it's still Alabama, but it's not something I feel like is 100% lock if he commits today i feel like it's it's alabama um and again this kid's pretty quiet he could he could do anything as we've seen um but i do think if he postpones it again with anybody postpones it we have to look a little deeper we did the same thing with jake pope who i felt alabama was in really strong position with and then he kind of slowed down the date we had he was going to commit so we had to reevaluate so i think alabama's did a good job there and they're as good a shape as they they could want going into his decision, although that doesn't mean he's a lock. And with that, we thank Bama 116 and everyone else who contributed to this week's roundtable mailbag for the latest edition of T. Watts. And TR, Tim, I think we're good, man. What do you think? And this was a good one. Yeah. I think we broad spectrum we covered here. We did. For sure. No doubt about it. We got around 90s, 90s sitcoms to what the hell's wrong with the Alabama okay, football that's team. Sitcoms. I just did 90 shows. Okay. But for the yeah. record, Dawson Creek was supposed to be a drama, but uh, it literally is a comedy if you watch it right now. There you go. You It'll make you – it's one of those movies like they're so serious you'll laugh your butt off. But um, 
it was supposed to be a drama. I just was going with all dramas. Okay. All right. Like the Cosby show is a little bit of a drama, but nevertheless. Yeah, it turned out to be a real drama. <laughs> Later right. on. We'll do it next week. We can Sounds good. Miss and why they had first downs in that game. <laughs> yeah, we look forward to it. Tim, as always, thanks, man. I appreciate it, brother. See you guys on the roundtable. Hey, subscribe to the Bama Online Podcast if you haven't already. Simple as a click or two. And if you leave us a rating and a review while you're there, we would definitely appreciate that as well. For site publisher Tim Watts, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us right here on the podcast. And, of course, right there at BamaOnline.com as well. So long, everybody. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. You expected someone else? So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, (laughs) nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.